What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm excited to be rocking with you guys for yet another episode. I'm very excited today to be joined by a very special and amazing guest for a variety of different reasons, which I will get to later on in this episode. But without further ado, I will allow her to introduce herself, her background, and just some interesting things that she would like to share with us to get today's podcast episode started. Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm good, Carl. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm super excited to be here and to share a little bit about what I know about travel. And I'm so very happy to have you here. Um, Thank you so much for kicking off the inaugural episode of my Travel Stories Summertime Season. Um, I've done this before in a variety (laughs) of different ways, but um, to to be honest, Sarah has been a huge inspiration for why I wanted to begin uh, talking about travel stories again and interviewing people from all over the world um, for a lot of different reasons. I read one of her bios in many different places all over the internet, and she just had such an inspiring story. Um, She also hired me, which we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Um, So that was another part of the inspiration. But Sarah, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, and how you ended up in the travel space? Yeah, so I am born and raised in Morocco. Uh, My parents are American, and they decided to give their kids a chance to explore the world at birth. So um, I was born in the city of Marrakesh, very cliche, and uh, lived in Morocco for about 20 years. I did study in the U.S. for college, so I did have my four years there, um, which was a huge culture shock, which we can get to at some point in this conversation. And I um, grew up um, traveling. My Disney World was Cambodia's Angkor Wat, um, the Pyramids of Cairo, uh, the Swiss Alps. Um, So my parents really instilled in me a love for travel and for learning from the world uh, way beyond, you know, traditional education. And I ended up in Argentina, uh, where I lived for about 10 years. And that's where I started my travel career in the uh, travel industry and uh, turned what I love into a business as well. And finally, we find ourselves now on the island of Mallorca in Spain, in the Mediterranean. And I've lived here for about two years now. So, um yeah, that's uh, that's me in a nutshell. So when you were younger and you're like mapping out, all right, when I'm older, I want to be X, Y, and Z. What was that for you? What did you want to do when you were older since you had a very adventurous start to finish of your life so far? Like, what was it like younger Sarah talking to herself, deciding, I want to do this when I'm older? What was that for you? Britney Spears. <laughs> really? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I wanted to be Britney Spears. So the singing Britney Spears, the dancing Britney Spears, or just the entire, like, just Britney herself, just Britney? The whole package. Uh, My dream was to be a Britney Spears of Morocco that uh, very quickly disappeared when I decided to uh, learn about myself and about the world. And I lived in South India for about a year in a tiny village called Madurai. I lived with my dance instructor or my dance guru. And uh, that's where my perspective shifted. Um, And uh, I I moved away from the ideals of becoming Britney Spears and into uh, a vision of sharing the world that I know, the way I've explored the world 
through travel. I wasn't really aware that that was a business I could tackle, but it was just something that I wanted to be a part of. So I started by studying comparative religion um, and anthropology. I thought that was a a good way to um, really understand culture and uh, explore different boundaries um, and different traditions and to have that appreciation when you travel. So um, I would say I started grassroots when it comes to travel. That's very interesting because one, I didn't know you studied anthropology and I was an anthropology major. Um, hello, amazing, mm-hmm. favorite courses ever and sociology as well. Um, and also my, my very first trip out of the country was to Egypt, um, actually, and it was in Cairo. Um, and that was my first introduction to, honestly, as a as a functioning adult that understood things beyond Chicago, right. um, uh, to language. So how has language played a part in your experiences in your early travel days? I mean, how were you able to kind of use your language skills to maximize the experiences that you were having um, on a global scale as well? I was lucky enough to grow up in a household with uh, a bunch of brothers uh, who spoke to me in Arabic. And my parents put us in Moroccan school, so we were not the traditional expat family uh, living in a U.S. bubble. Um, I grew up in Moroccan uh, schools studying chemistry and math and geography and geology and history, all in Arabic and French. Um, And that allowed me to pick up three languages at full proficiency by the time I was 20. And um, I think that really allows me to delve into some of the minute details or nuances, cultural nuances of a given culture. If I can speak the language remotely, Uh, when I was in Syria, for example, uh, this is a place where one of the most traditional forms of Arabic is spoken. It's still a dialect, but it's still almost close to, very close to uh, modern standard Arabic. And um, having spoken Arabic for many years, I was able to pick up on some nuances that possibly others are not able to. And that's just a huge, huge uh, blessing and opportunity for me. So I think uh, languages play a huge part in travel if you have the opportunity to learn. So what destination that you've been to or lived in or had or had any type of experience in do you feel like grounds you the most and then on the flip side of that what destination or place that you visited has been uh the most transformative for you and how you view and how you and and how you conceptualize the importance of travel for you as an individual i think i would say in terms of grounding i would use uh, south india as an example because it was a turning point in my life Uh, I became an adult in India. I know that it's super cliche, uh, eat, pray, love, um, but it really was that experience for me. I was studying um, an ancient form of dance, which is almost military-like. It was eight hours of practice every day, living with my dance teacher who was ruthless with uh, practice, and I performed all over the country um, as a dancer. And uh, I I studied Tamil, which is the language spoken in the state of Tamil Nadu. And um, I also did an in-depth research on sacred spaces in India and how several religions converge in the one space and what what happens socially. 
Um, so for me to conduct that research, to conduct those interviews, to be in these almost uncomfortable spaces with people and to learn about their experiences um, and to be on stage in a country where I don't speak the language, uh, whereas I'm used to speaking at least one language and understanding, uh, putting myself in that outside of my comfort zone allowed me to grow as a person and um, and grounded me and turned me into an adult, thankfully. Um, so it was a 180 turn for me. And then in terms of a destination that changed my perception of travel, there are so many. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Syria, uh, almost a decade in uh, South America. I think... Uh, because of my love for uh, comparative religion, I would have to say Ethiopia because it's the oldest form of uh, Orthodox Christianity in the world. And it has, um, you know, this depth to it that is so underrated. It's the only country in Africa that was not colonized, but only a, pr a protectorate uh, under Italy for five years. So it just holds itself uh, very strongly when it comes to its culture, its traditions, its history, and its people. So that's where um, I would say my love for travel extended itself um, into an even deeper experience. One, thank you so much for sharing. I'm learning so much, so many things I just had no idea about. Um, I can talk to you about that, the research and the education <laughs> part so for glad. hours. Um, thank you so much for sharing. So I've heard you mention a few times now about dance. And then uh, about the academic side of travel, like how do you carry that or how have you carried that forward now into your career? Because it sounds like that it really fills you, you know, it fills you, it fills your cup. Um, so how do you then continue to bring that from your, you know, from what you've learned and what you've done currently into the roles that you have now? That's such an interesting question because I sit at, sit at my desk all day and do not dance at any point in time. I do dance in my head, though. Um, but I think it, I would say uh, dance has been another way of exploring cultures for me. I uh, explored India through dance, both physically traveling around the country and performing, but also you know, they perform their traditions and their myths and their beliefs through dance because the dance form that I was performing was uh, a Hindu temple dance, which um, described the different uh, stories um, of the of the Vedas. Um, and um, for me today, um, you know, I've experienced different types of uh, wishes, like wanting to become a flamenco dancer. I think that's probably because I'm in Spain. I uh, A dream of mine is to become a professional flamenco dancer before I turn 40. I started classes and I found it so compelling that I stopped because I just want to do it all day and not two hours a week. Um, so I, uh, I've performed uh, in New York City parades, I've performed on floats, um, I've performed, uh, I taught belly dancing in Argentina for five years, and I did ballet for 20 years. So it is part of my life journey, but today, right here, right now, <laughs> it's definitely on pause. <laughs> Um, first, I want to say to everyone listening, always meet your heroes. I had no, like, what? That is absolutely amazing. All the things that you just listed. Um, wow. Like, wow. Wow. 
Um, wow. Really? Wow. Okay. So first I love, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to my questions. I'll have a, a recap in my response to this interview in another podcast. <laughs> all of that was just amazing. I have so many directions. I want to go with that. Uh, Flamenco dancing, the, one of the best shows I've ever seen. I had the privilege of seeing it in Barcelona. And I was like, what in the world? I wanted, I wanted to, it was just so great. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's like it. the Britney Spears. It's, I'm so it's a sorry. world. <laughs> wow. That was just so much. And so quickly. Oh, okay. Sorry, guys. I'm back. I promise I'm back. So now <laughs> you're a very public figure, right? And you're a public leader in the travel space. Uh, someone that, you know, a lot of people idolize, including myself. Um, if you could just sum it up, right? So, uh, <clears throat> wow. What has helped you reach and maintain the success that you've had in this space? And I know there's a lot of ways you can go with this, but I just want you to focus on, um, if you will, uh, ex- one, maybe one or two experiences or people that you've interacted with and that you've seen that's kind of led you in a direction that you've you know, landed in now as you know, a very public leader and figure within the travel space. Well, I mean, to begin with, the travel space is extremely saturated, but it has so many pockets to be filled. And I find it to be an infinite canvas, an endless canvas where if you have creativity, you could excel. Um, and uh, it's a space that is constantly growing, um, plenty of fish in the sea, and it's constantly um, gaining uh, traction. Um, I think that uh, in terms of how I started and what I believe is, I guess I wouldn't say the route to my success, but um there were three things that I would like to mention. One is uh, an interaction with a client in 2013. I went to meet a client in Buenos Aires to just greet them and help them with their check-in on their arrival day. And um, he sensed an energy in me and he sensed that um, I was onto something. And out of the blue, this person said, learn how the printer works, learn how the taxes are filed, learn about every single element of the business. And I took that to heart and I spent that following year just watching everyone in the company that I worked at. Um, So I found that really humbling to learn about everything that has to do with a business and to know how things work from A to Z. Um, the th- second lesson that I learned was I started my own business in 2015, uh, with two partners and, um, the more I got into it, the more I realized that the success was coming very easily when I was myself. And, um, as a third culture or fourth culture kid, um, you know, I struggle with identity all the time because I am American, but I am Moroccan, but I am a white Muslim who is also practicing, um, but I don't look it. And I speak these four languages now. And my son has three passports, which is probably illegal. And uh, so there's a lot of things going on and I'm constantly struggling with who I am, but I also use it to my advantage because it's a liberating experience to not really be tied down to a home. With this business though, with the, I launched back in 2015, I realized that people are, uh, they connect with uh, authenticity 
And I just found that being myself and opening up, you know, as scary as that is, opening up um, and laying that as a business vision and message uh, is what led to uh, ultimately the success of that company. And finally, my mom, who's currently traveling in Mashhad in Iran, um, she travels every month somewhere new. Um, she's the type of person that's been to Malawi four times. And uh, I, I don't even know where Malawi is. And she's, you know, has, um, she's just the person that is always ready to learn and grow through travel. Um, so she takes intensive language courses before she explores a destination. She's picked up Persian right before going to Iran. Um, and uh, that's, yeah, that would be the third, I guess, element that has propelled me into the travel industry. And I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how do you then balance being yourself while being surrounded by people that you're trying to learn from? It's a really uh, heavy question there, Carl. Um, I think we're constantly evolving and growing. Uh, with every passing moment, there's an opportunity for growth, uh, whether it's enjoyable or painful, whether it's boring or exciting. Um, every moment is uh, an opportunity to step into the next phase of your life. And um, I'm always looking up to people um, that I just absolutely uh, admire and adore as human beings. But you also have to make sure you tie your own camel, as they say in Arabic, um, and make sure that you're grounded with your own uh you know, mission in life, beliefs, and 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 perspective. So that's a fine balance. I don't know if I have if that answers your question, but it's a dance between the two. No pun intended. <laughs> it absolutely does. That's something that, as you were speaking, I was um I was also thinking about just for myself because I know uh one of, I made a podcast recently that was just uh, one of the things I said is that I think one of the reasons why I thrive in the travel space is because I'm comfortably uncomfortable. Like I'm constantly in a state of being uncomfortable because of my experiences. And a lot of part of my early travel, I was places where I was the only one that looked like me, um, came from the place I was from. And then when I would come home and share my experiences, people would look at me like, what? I don't, they either wouldn't care or they would be disconnected to it. And I really had nothing or no one to connect with. That was really where I was from and could really understand me as Carl first and not Carl the traveler, Carl the expat. So even when I go, when I started working different places in different companies uh, that weren't my own, it was always that, like you said, it was it was kind of like that balance where it's like I wanted to show fully who I was and talk about things the way that I talk, but I also had to be yeah. wary that, okay, how do I also, I'm trying, I'm here to absorb knowledge as well um, and kind of how to balance that out. And that's something I've, you know, I think I still kind of struggle with, but thank you for your answer because I think that'll definitely um, help me moving forward as yeah, well. Yeah, and I think we're constantly uncomfortable in the sense that if, if you're really true to you know, who you are, it's great to be uncomfortable because it really puts you in a position to, uh, to welcome change and, and, uh, to expand your horizons. So yeah, I agree. And you're a well of knowledge. I, I like to say, uh, what travel knowledge do you enjoy sharing the most when people, when it's either brought as a question to you or something that you always share in terms of travel, when you're talking travel with people new or old? 
I think the one thing that um, drives me is uh, speaking of the Arab world and uh, opening people's perspectives on the Arab world, uh, specifically North Africa and the Middle East, and um, expanding people's horizons on those uh, different perspectives. Um, I think it's obviously a destination or a region that is misunderstood, misinterpreted due to the political um, stage that we're at right now. And having grew, you know, called Morocco home and lived in Syria and um, explored the Middle East as a single solo female, I think there's a lot that I like to share about it and to maybe just lend a few ideas about how welcoming and true, um, you know, true to their nature they are as people. Solo travel, group travel, or family travel? Uh, No pressure here. Um, Which one do you prefer uh, and why at this stage in your life? Solo travel, for sure. (laughs) I uh, answered that way too fast. Um, I have a a toddler who's a, a small elephant, and he, you know, it's it, at this stage in my life, it's um, it's it's a lot of energy, emotional, mental energy. And I just came back from a solo trip through uh, the United States. I visited New York, D.C., the state of Utah and California. And that was just absolutely life changing and transformative to be alone for that time. So in this stage of my life, I get, you know, I, I benefit a lot more from, uh, solo travel. That being said, we also just came back from a family trip uh, to Egypt and the red, the red sea. And I think that, um, that was also quite a unique experience to spend with my son in a country that loves children and that welcomes screaming kids and restaurants, uh, very different from my experience in Vienna Christmas. So, um, quite a special time. And I, th- this is my last knowledge-based question because um, do you see yourself as a mentor? And then I guess the second part of that, which is connected but not really, um, what you've gained so much from your family, right, from your foundation, and you and you mentioned that earlier in the podcast. What are you hoping to pass down um, in your family heritage now forward um, as it relates to travel, and why is that important to you? I absolutely do not see myself as a mentor. <laughs> um, I find that I have some skill sets within the travel industry, within sales and communication that might be possibly interesting to pass on to whoever is interested. The reason why I say that is because I'm the loser in my family. Um, Everyone else is way cooler than me. Um, My brothers all have PhDs from Harvard and Yale. They're professors of philosophy and sociology and different religious studies they are, uh, you know, very accomplished in the energy sex- sectors um, and sustainability. And, uh, you know, both my parents are avid travelers and have just incredible stories dating back to the 60s and the 70s. So I don't find myself uh, to be positioned uh, in order to give, you know, mentor- mentors to be a mentor. But... Um, yeah, I think <laughs> that probably answers your your question. I think I missed the second question. Oh, just um, what 
in, in regards to like a tribal foundation, are you hoping to pass down or to provide to, to your own family now, to your own siloed family that you have? I think what I grew up with, which is already what I've started to instill in my son's life and um, just the opportunity to grow in, up and learn from different places. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, we have three or four nationalities in our little pod of three, and um, it's uh, added on to the experience that we're having now on, on the island of Mallorca in Spain. So at this point in time, I'm just passing on what I learned from my parents, uh, which is the wisdom in different cultures and traditions. All right. Now I'm going to hit you with some fun questions and a question I just thought of that I want to ask that uh, I hope my wife isn't listening. Um, so like Let's when I was, I'll be honest, when I was traveling life at the beginning, I marriage was the furthest thing from my mind because of all the things I was seeing and I was doing. And I was like, yeah, dating's cool, but you can't hold me down. And then I was like, well, it'd be cool to have these experiences with somebody. I would love to travel with somebody. But then I was like, man, it's just so great having my own backpack and worried about my own water bottle <laughs> and not the other person's. Was that a similar, not about now, but like in the past, was that a similar vibe that you had when you were exploring the world? Or am I the only one that was crazy enough to be thinking like that? No, you're not alone. Um, I got very lucky. I hit the jackpot because um, it's a funny story, actually. I met my husband traveling. Uh, we met in a taxi in Syria. And uh, that le- that basically tells you how the rest of the tale goes on. Um, I just continued traveling. Uh, I never stopped whether he joined or not. Mostly Ned didn't join because of uh, my trips were mostly for work. Um, but I remember getting married and then going on a six, a six month long trip with my friends through Asia and Europe. And that was just part of my plan, whether I got <laughs> married or not. So it definitely is a cornerstone of my life that has not budged, whether I'm a wife or a mother or, you know, uh, an expat or an entrepreneur, it's just uh, something that has to happen for me. Um, and uh, I've managed to balance it out quite well, thankfully. And unfortunately to my husband, who's um, very patient with me. Uh, but I find that um I am very lucky in that sense. Most people do not have that luxury because uh, marriage may seem to maybe tie you down as you grow your family and um, it's very hard to travel with with kids to these destinations. So I definitely milked my 20s and made sure to see all those regions that I wanted to visit um, that I knew would be challenging with kids. Do you still plan your own trips or are you... Are you more, I just want to let it go and give it to someone else, but I can figure it out when I get there. How do you travel now? Oh, I am way too uh, OCD to let anyone <laughs> plan my trips. I um, I plan all of my trips. Um, for personal trips, I, I am a lot more um, relaxed about scheduling and itineraries. I definitely plan around properties and hotels that I really want to visit that have uh, historic, historical heritage to them, uh, but definitely don't leave that in anyone's hands uh, because I like, you know, serendipity. I like to get lost and figure my way out of a situation. 
Are you a backpacker at heart or are you a luxury traveler at heart? I quit backpacking 10 years ago. <laughs> I've retired uh, from that experience. Um, the moment I lost my tooth on a train in India, mm. that's when I said, it's over. Um, yes, I, 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 you know, I think a lot of us go through the backpacker phase for various reasons. Uh, the main one is financial. But I think um, at this stage in my life with the career that I'm leading, I do need to be aligned with what I'm doing at work and how I travel. It needs to make sense or else there's a just, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it loses its um, balance for me. Um, when I say luxury travel, though, I, I don't mean, you know, the thread count or the Michelin star restaurant. Uh, it just means the luxury of being in a very special natural oasis or, you know, some place remote that's takes a helicopter to get to, or, you know, places that are just very, very special and meeting very special people. It definitely doesn't have to do with the um, tangible or, you know, uh, materialistic side of luxury. Okay. I think I, that's, that's the best answer I've heard in regards to that question. Cause I was myself, I was like, ah, well, I don't ever want to backpack again. Well, maybe, but, um, yeah, that's, that was a great way of putting it. Thank you. I'm, I'm definitely going to copy paste that into my mind for when I'm asked that question again on another podcast, but, uh, not plagiarism, uh, cause I'm going to reword it anyway. Sorry. Chat GPT into my mind. Um, what? <laughs> Uh, what is one place that you never want to return to that you've traveled to before? And one place Columbia. that you absolutely really? <laughs> I and it's a very personal reason. I traveled to Colombia, and I'm very sorry to my Colombian friends, but I traveled all over this beautiful country of Colombia, and I recommend it very, very highly to everyone. Um, you know, it, it was just every transfer point broke every single flight got canceled every boat i was on broke down every storm that could happen uh happened every volcano that could erupt erupted it was just one after the other and just catastrophic as far as logistics so I've been in South America for 10 years. I spent 10 years there. I have a taste for all these different regions and cities. Colombia is one of the most beautiful countries in South America, but I'm just hurt from the pains, the travel pains. So I've, I think I, I've, I've, I've had my share of Colombia. <laughs> it's I have a very funny Marrakesh, Morocco story. Uh, I hope you haven't listened to it, but I have a very funny story from when I was there. Loved it. We slept in the desert, but man, it's, I'll, I'll get to that. I, I want to hear your reaction. I'd to love it, to hear it. It was so beautiful. Love, love this place, the foods, all that. But oh man, I had a, I had a rough time. Uh, but first, um, what is your elevator pitch travel story? And what I mean, but when I say this, like when you first meet someone for the first or second time and you guys are talking travel and you're just bringing up all your favorite experiences, what is that one, uh, that one story that you always go to that you always share and why? It's, it depends who I'm speaking to. Um, if Well, I'm not going to go through the different profiles of this person on the elevator, but uh, it really depends who I'm speaking to because I it's very hard to relate to a story like 
meeting your husband in a taxi in Syria. It's just so mind-boggling and requires so much context. Um, so the story that I go to is um, being stuck on a dinghy in a Pacific storm uh, in the Galapagos Islands for five hours with six huge boxes of chicks. <laughs> Wait, how, so, how, how did that happen? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Then it's no longer an elevator story. Um, <laughs> but I was supposed to fly from Santa Cruz Island to Isabella Island in the Galapagos on a small plane. And because of a storm, the flight got canceled and we were taken to the port and... Um, they suggested a last minute boat tour uh, and a dinghy that was supposed to be about four hours, which ended up being six hours. And at one point the waves were so high that for three hours I couldn't see the horizon. And uh, that's where I just said my goodbyes. <laughs> I thought, well, I lived a very good life. I've seen many places. I've done good deeds. This is my time. Um, and it was just me, a friend of mine, these two captains and six boxes of hundreds of little chicks <laughs> um, that had recently hatched. And I just kept looking at those chicks and feeling so terrible that I got to live a longer life than they did. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the Galapagos Pacific storm story is the one I go to. Wow, that is see, and you see, see, okay, when when you say that, it's like, oh, people can't really relate to meeting your husband in the in in a taxi in Syria. But then it's like, oh, Galapagos Islands with some chicks. I'm like, wait, so the first one I can actually relate oh. to, but the Galapagos Islands one, that's the one where it's like, what? But then I actually can relate. Well, I can relate to the India train story because it was like I was in traveling from I think Thailand to Cambodia on a train and it was like smoky season. Didn't know that was a thing. And I was just covered in black smoke because they had all the windows open and never let them down. I was like, man, that's crazy. Didn't lose a tooth, but I almost passed out because I was suffocating because <laughs> I fell asleep with my mouth open. So it was like a whole it was a whole lot of things going on that I wish wasn't going on at that time. Um, Wow. So, <laughs> so in the. I have so many questions. I'm, I, have to, I have to wrap it up, though. I don't want to keep it for too long. So in the travel space, who has been your biggest inspiration? Oh, this is a lame one because I have a lame answer. Um, my mom. Oh. <laughs> you know, yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of different travel writers and editors. And I could go down the Ibn Battuta path and say, you know, my favorite traveler is Ibn Battuta because he originated from Morocco and explored all the way to China. And, but um, really, my mom can't stop, won't stop. And uh, she's just a powerhouse at 70 um, exploring the entire country of Iran and a lot of people just ask why, you know, and, and, uh, in, and in my mind, it's never a question of why it's more of when can I do that? And she celebrated her 70th birthday paragliding over Cape town. Um, Amazing. and 
things like that. And she's not even an adventure traveler. She's the type that reads every single uh, description in a museum. So she's super annoying to go to museums with. She takes forever. And uh, she's the type of person who reads um, a lot of books and tries to learn an entire language before arriving. Um, she speaks about 12 languages. And um, I think that's, yeah, that's my answer. I'm just going to stick to it. 12 like like how oh my god how I would including love... mandarin so really you two could... yeah oh my goodness yes i would love to meet your mom um i would well love... she did graduate high school from the american school of taiwan oh, so i, I think that. that is something that we discussed and um we do have that like link that is true and see, this is why this is why I love podcasting, talking to people in the travel space. Because <laughs> everyone's story, like you know, you think you have a cool story until you're like, yeah, the Galapagos Islands with these chicks, and it's like, oh wow, I'm gonna tell someone else's story because I'm definitely gonna retell that story to a few of my friends and pretend that it, like it was me, but it's not. They know I haven't been to South America. Go yet. for it. <laughs> Just specify yeah. the chicks are baby chickens. It's like these are baby chicks, guys, not regular chicks, baby chicks. Um, <laughs> What is, uh, in your opinion, the best travel my uh, mm, the best mindset to have when traveling? And I, I, I take that back. With, oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Take it back. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, what travel mindset have you encountered that has been challenging for you while traveling? Uh, I think having travel companions who have expectations of the way uh, things should be and not open to the way that things are, I think that brings in toxicity to the travel experience because when you're not welcoming difference, when you're not welcoming a different ideology, a challenging perhaps ideology, uh, then you're not open to growing, learning, transforming yourself or expanding your horizons. I remember when I, I, I walked into the study abroad program at my university, George Washington University in DC, and I, I walked in with a few destinations in mind to, to choose as study abroad locations. But then I, I got to this wall and it was all these files for different countries. Uh, that fortunately the, the university had amazing programs. And I looked at that wall and I thought to myself, which country do I have the most prejudice towards that I don't want to admit to myself that I'm not going to admit to anyone, but which country do I see here that I already formed a perspective and I've never even been or read about? And that's the country that I chose to uh, spend time in. Um, so I think that is my perspective, is always wanting to grow and learn from uh, new places and new people and new customs. Being stuck with a, you know, um, a hammer tribe in the south of Ethiopia for three hours during a rainstorm flash flood um, in a hut. It was just three hours in a hut with people who didn't speak a single language close to mine. And we just sat there in silence for three hours, listening to the rain together. And yeah, there's nothing spoken, but that experience, you know, you just have to be open to learning from it and uh, taking it all in. So, yeah. 
And you see, that's so fascinating because I've, al- I've always been trying to even understand for myself um, mm-hmm. whether my where I am in regards to how much I love travel was accidental or intentional. Because when I reflect back on my life, I didn't, I literally did not intentionally sign up to study abroad. Someone told me, they were like, why are you studying Mandarin? I was like, well, I got placed in this class on accident and I kind of stayed in because I think it's cool and it's fun. No, you're going to, you're going to study abroad in Beijing. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go do it. And I just started saying yes to things. So it wasn't like I intentionally had that mindset from an early on that I wanted to explore these cultures and learn all these new things. Like I was a social anthropology major and I was learning about these things and I just liked it. I had no concept that I could step outside of where I was in America and Chicago and Indiana um, and explore the world and what it was like to be out there until I actually left. And it took going to Egypt and then going to Beijing and then living in Taiwan to really open my eyes to man, I enjoy just learning about culture and places and people. And this is so energizing and invigorating. And I, I love it so much. Why why would I stop doing it? Um, so I, it's just, and yours, in some ways, when you were speaking, it, it was an intentional decision that was being made. And it's just so interesting to hear like the opposite side of that and how um, while there were the, the method and the path in which you arrived at your zest for exploration, while it was different from mine, it was f- rooted in the same thing, right? It's that knowledge and that love and that passion right. for travel. Um, wow, man, coming full circle. My last question before we can field questions from you, if you have any for me is, if you had a travel podcast, what would you talk about and why? I would totally steal your ideas uh, because I, I really enjoy your podcast. Um, but I did think about this question. Um, I think uh, if I were to explore a podcast idea, it would be um, sacred spaces and how they transcend boundaries. Um, so doesn't have to be a religious podcast, uh, definitely not, but just exploring spaces that um, are considered sacred to people and how they are transformative, but also transcend all those boundaries that, that we construct around our um, ourselves. So did your, I'm just curious, did your previous company focus in knowledge-based exploration and travel at all? Yes, yes. We had a, a whole themed um, uh, theme of travel uh, where you travel and meet with scholars and different uh, specialists. And yeah, it was the focal point, actually, of the company. And you guys never fun. found me. So I, I could take a trip. I know. <laughs> that sounds so amazing. Wow. See? Oh, all right. Side, side project in 10 years. Sarah, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to partner up on that. I'm just going to go there and you're going to yep. tell me, teach me stuff about it. And then I'll talk about it. Um, okay. <laughs> so do you have first, first and foremost, thank you so very much for sharing your time with me this morning. I know you're very busy. Um, there were birds chirping in the background. So I knew it was going to be a very amazing and lighthearted and amazing podcast because who doesn't like birds, right? Um, do you have any questions for me or anything else you would like to share uh, for the audience or any questions for me directly? Yeah, I want to know what's your elevator story. Damn. Oh, okay. Um, ooh, I I feel like it's wow. Sorry, I didn't think she was going to ask me that, guys. As you can tell. Well, you can uh, ask. You can tell me about your Morocco story, and I can give you my reaction. Oh, okay, man, that was. Oh, so it's a okay. I'm gonna give you guys have probably heard this on the podcast, but I'm gonna say it. So I was in Morocco. I first I want to say I loved it. It was a great experience. I would definitely do it again. 
But um, we were traveling there first. Uh, I got my haircut there, and it was the best haircut I ever got in my life. I was walking down an alley, and I saw this little kid, and they was like, I was like, hey, where'd you get your haircut? Didn't understand the word I was saying. But I pointed to my hair, and she was like, oh, hair. And then he took me to this barbershop, and the guy walked in, and he was like, hair? And I was like, yes, hair. And he cut my hair, and it was like $20. I don't know if that was too much or too little, but I still tipped him another 20 because it was great. Um, but yeah, That's it was a like a hot towel and like the razor and... Like you watch, I, this is the first time I'd ever had my hair washed, get my hair cut. Guys, don't judge me out there. I went to a very uh, local barbershop when I was in Chicago, but um, it was just amazing. It was transformative. And then as I was getting my hair cut, my friends, like uh, they, I got chased down like the alley. It was weird. They got chased down the alley because they thought they stole something. And I was like, y'all deserve it. Cause y'all look like y'all steal. No, I'm joking. Um, but it was, it was, it was a crazy 10 minutes, but the story is so I was staying in a hostel in Marrakesh, and they make you breakfast in the morning. Um, and like I heard someone coughing, but I didn't know who it was. Um, but then I woke up, and then I went down to eat breakfast, and I ate breakfast. Like we were taking a two-hour car ride to have the experience where you sleep in the Sahara Desert, but you have to ride camels for like an hour and a half to get there, and then you sleep in the Sahara Desert. So long story short, along the way, like I had like I don't know what it was, but it was either dysentery or something very similar to it. And like I had the worst stomach infection ever, but in the car ride over there, there was this guy, I don't know where he was from. It was 10 of us in a van. He was playing Snoop Dogg very loud on his phone at the time, but like no headphones. This was like back in the days when the iPhone just came out, oh like wearing Snoop Dogg and rapping. And he kept looking at me to rap the words, but I'm not a Snoop Dogg fan. So I didn't know any other words. Meanwhile, I'm in the back and I had like this stomach thing going on. So every time we stop, I'm diving out of the bathroom. This is the first time I encountered you have to pay to use the bathroom. So it was like all new to me. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. I just want to do that. So then we get back in the car, we get on the camels. And again, I'm feeling terrible. I like feel the worst I've ever felt. And I'm on this camel, camel, my stomach is hurting. And you know, riding a camel, it's fun until it's not. It's fun for the first two minutes. And then you realize you're on a camel and you're going up and down and your stomach hurt. And it's just not a good feeling to have. So then we get, we finally get into the desert. Again, I didn't do any research. I didn't plan this trip. Someone else planned it. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're sleeping in the desert. I'm like, that's cool. There's like, yeah, it's a shower over there. Anyway, we go and like there's this dance going on and like all this cultural stuff, and I'm just zoning out. I go back to my <laughs> tent because I'm literally dying. I'm like, I can't eat anything. Everything's coming out of me. Nothing's coming in. It was just weird. So I go into my tent. Sorry, Sarah, it's a long story, but one was done, I promise. I go into my tent and then I lay down. Now, those of you guys that know me, I don't like bugs. I don't like anything. I'm a germaphobe. So I go in my tent, I lay down, and there's this other guy from Mexico, and he goes, Hey, man, you okay? I'm like, Man, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, I go to sleep. I lay down. I open my eyes. There is a spider the size of both of my hands put together, and it's white. So I didn't know it was a sand spider. I didn't know if it was going to kill me or not. But it's this giant spider directly above me. So you guys know me. You know what I did, of course. Manly Carl ran out the tent, kicking and screaming to the other tent where everybody was having food. My friends like me said, Carl, you're lying. Stop being a little punk. Going to a little spider. So then I, they walk me back to the tent because I can't walk at this point, y'all. Like, I'm dying in the desert. I'm in the desert, child, and I'm dying. It was crazy. Walk back to the tent, and they think it's a joke. Long story short, they see the spider. I run out. My friend runs out. We shut the door to trap the spider in there so somebody can go and get it, and we lock one of the other people in there, and they're screaming because they're like, why'd you lock me in here with the spider? Ah, it was a whole thing. I'm almost done. So then, because I can't sleep with the spider, the story comes full circle. I go back to the tent with the guy who was playing Snoop Dogg very loud, and he's like, hey, my f- and he's still playing Snoop Dogg, by the way. He plays it the entire trip. No one tells him to stop. He was a very scary looking guy. And he says, hey, my friend's a doctor. 
And I'm like, oh, he's like, he has medicine for your stomach. You look terrible. And I was like, at this point in time, I'm like, look, if it kills me, it kills me. Let me take this medicine. So I lay in the tent with the dog listening to Snoop Dogg, who finds this random cat. And then the doctor comes in with two pills. I take the pills. I pass out. I wake up. I feel great. That is my intro story. That was my first day in Morocco. And it got better after that. But that was wild. And it was a full like day of just a great haircut, coughing, maybe getting sick from that. I don't know. Because food was great after that because I loved it. I ate couscous all the time. Sorry, I got real loud when I told that story, Sarah. But yeah, that's my Morocco story. And um, I loved it. I loved the desert experience. It was just out of bad first day. That sounds so familiar on so many levels. I, I connect to a lot of the different feelings that you uh, that you experienced on that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Um, that's amazing. Classic Morocco experience. Yeah, but it was, did it, well. it, it was great. The culture, everything we learned, um, the people we met, just um, I met so many friends there. Just amazing people um, that just, I mean, the food, uh, the markets. Oh, my goodness. Just walking around, like how much walking around I could do. Yeah. It was great. I absolutely love Marrakesh. Sorry for my very long story, guys. This is about Sarah, not about me. Um, are there any other questions that you have or anything else you would like to share, Sarah? Oh, that was it. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best. And thank you so very much, Sarah, for joining me as well. It was definitely an honor having you on. Again, you're an, an icon, a role model. Um, you are the Britney of the travel industry. If no one has oh, told you that yet today, never forget that. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to yet another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. Um, thank you guys for subscribing. As always, make sure you like, share, um, and tell a friend uh, if they have interesting travel stories to so join me on this episode. But as always, my name is Carl, the Black Expat. We out here. Thank mm-hmm. you.